Welcome back to Stories Out of Time and Space. I'm your captain, and the star date is uh, August 2021, uh, and we're going to be talking uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture today, and I'm all, as always, I'm joined by my uh, number one, Julian. I don't know why I put myself in charge there. I'm really sorry. That just came up. <laughs> my, my uh, okay. I, I mean, I'm here to figure out the, the, the secrets of life, the universe, and everything, and is there something more? And this movie will do that for me. I'm sure by the end of these two hours, we will have figured everything out. Hopefully, yeah. I, I, I did go straight for the sort of Shatner-level narcissism there. <laughs> <laughs> no, no worries. Uh, or even the Kirk-level sort of like arrogance of this film, actually, to be perfectly honest. But yeah, we are talking about um, uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture from uh, 1979, starring the original... Uh, at least, mo- well, mostly the original crew: William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, DeForest Kelly, James Doohan, and uh, well, uh, yeah, Michelle Nichols, and all you know. I don't want to sort of leave out George Takai, Walter Koning, all these, and then and then sort of others <laughs> just sort of brought in, and without even being given a red shirt, clearly indicating, all right, you've got enough relevance at this film, but no backstory. You're dead. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and and sadly so, because, you know, I think that uh, Decker and Ilya are two of the most fascinating characters and they were going to be part of Star Trek phase two. And I really want to see more of them. I, I agree, actually, that I was really like the ending of this. If if this film was like the culmination of, of a, an, another story, <clears throat> the ending would feel a lot more impactful. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we'll get to it anyway. But uh, so, yeah, but let's start with Star Trek, the motion picture. Um, what are your initial thoughts? Um, having watched it recently? Well, I, I love this movie. I've always loved this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that, you know, the traditional view of the Star Trek movies is that the, the even ones are good. Yeah. And the odd ones are bad. And I think this is pretty universally recognized as the best of the odd ones. Mm. Um, and so that would put it like fourth in terms of quality. There's no doubt it has problems, but, um, I think it is in some ways the most mature of all six. I think it's, it's searching. It's about something. It has that classic track, like, you know, wanting to really get at something. Mm. And when you think of like how popular the singularity has become since, it's way on top of that in, in 78 and, um, you know, whether humanity exists to sort of bootstrap, um, you know, a, a sort of robotic AI consciousness. It's there in 78. Um, so I, I think it's ambitious. It's about something. And there are ideas in here. I love that it's an anticlimax. I mean, um, there there's a lot in here that I really love. What about you? No, I'm the same. 
and I think it's interesting. Like I say, um, th- th- this is clearly. Uh, well, I'm not saying clearly. I, I assume the, the 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 release of this or the the green lighting of this is a direct result of of Star Wars, mm-hmm. and the fact that they didn't go Star Wars is a big, big success. Can we have like the crew of the Enterprise back in some some rip roaring adventure? Um, you know, for an hour and a half. Um, they didn't. They said no. We're going to bring them back, and yeah, we're going to basically send them on a two two hour plus classic trek episode mm-hmm. you know we're going to explore themes and we are really going to sort of dig into um some big ideas and challenge some of the characters and i thought i was like oh so i do enjoy this film i think there's a there's a 70s feel to it as well like we've you know obviously we've recently just done the money fell to earth and we've never done it and maybe we'll get to one day but even like before like 60s stuff like 2001 and and mm-hmm. Some of these other, like you know, more contemplative sort of sci-fi films, it definitely feels more. It's, it's falling into that camp rather than going for the action, um, which will come with this franchise. But yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I found myself thinking, like, you know, it, one of the biggest criticisms of this film is that it doesn't have that kind of action, and obviously, Star Wars is is packed with it. Mm. Um, this is, you know, this is. Um, obviously the sort of climax is an anti-climax. It's a conversation for God's mm-hmm. sake about existence and reality and unintended consequences. Um, I think that's fantastic. I think the set there is fantastic. I think that, you know, I mean, not to jump ahead, but like, I mean, the pain on Ilya's face, mm. this construct is just haunts me. Um, and I like that it doesn't have that kind of action. Um, I like that it, you know, I, I've obviously we've gotten to the point where and I, and I think Star Wars is to blame for a lot of this, where we've we have these climaxes that go on and on and on. And every five minutes, we've got to have a new action scene. And this movie does not care about any of that. And, yeah. and so for me, if anything, this movie gets more and more refreshing over time. No, I agree, because we I, mean, I, I went back. And I looked, I haven't watched them all, but I didn't, I didn't watch any of them. I watched this and I went through, I was just listing through the, the Trek films. Mm. And I've, I've, I've got most of them. Um, and I, I, I came to the conclusion quite quickly, actually. I was like, oh my God, I'm a Trekkie rather than a Star Wars fan. I'm, I definitely lean this way. And <clears throat> I think you're right. I think there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a correction in place with um, Wrath of Khan. Uh, and and some of the rest of the series, but the series still manages to maintain. Maybe maybe not four. You know, four is a bit different. Um, but it's overall, I think, yeah, yeah, it's an eighties comedy. Like you know, um, <laughs> but mainly, I think this 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 franchise sort of manages to maintain um, uh, a certain trekness about it, uh, and avoid those sort of like the pulpy action and the sort of you know the the a lot of others fall into it. And I do blame sort of Star Wars for that a little bit. And then, you know, that become an eighties thing. So no, to watch this film now, I was, I was like, Oh yeah, no, this film, the, the height of the action in this film is, is Spock using a jetpack to go through a, an entrance way. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, they have a, a tense countdown from, you know, before his jetpack goes off. Like that's about it, but I love it. And I do, I love, I love some of the stuff. This is a character piece. 
Mm. Really? Uh, so no, I, I I do I agree. I find some of this refreshing. There's some bits that's clearly a little bit too self-indulgent. I would say where mm-hmm. it does it does start to lose me. Um, the first one really being. What you say about the set? I love the set. I love the model work in this as well. I love all the model work. I love the ships. I love the the the, the sort of space stations. All that stuff. It's fantastic. I love it. Absolutely love it. Even the the Vija massive super ship at the end is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got a Transformers question about this film later on. But, I do too. <laughs> yeah. Um, the the moment when you've got Scotty and and Kirk on that on the little um, what's it transporter ship. Shuttlecraft, yeah. The little sorry, the little shuttlecraft. And they're sort of basically you, you basically get eight minutes or so of them yes. just going, Look at Enterprise. Look at Enterprise. It's like this weird sort of like almost sexualization. Yeah. Of yeah the shit. I mean, well, I mean, I have a few things to say about that. I mean, I, I do think that goes on too long, for sure. Mm. But I also think like, you know, more than any franchise in history. Star Trek has a veneration for that ship. Yes. Uh, you know, I mean, Battlestar Galactica, it's like, okay, that ship's cool, but the Battlestar Galactica is cool, but nobody venerates it the way they do the Enterprise. Um, and the Enterprise, you know, there's that cliche of like, the city is a character. Well, mm. I mean, the Enterprise is a character. I mean, the Enterprise matters. Mm. Um, and it's true that goes on too long. I also, but I also found myself thinking when you see the Enterprise in space dock as they're going past it and the music swells and this Goldsmith music is amazing. And yes, I, I can't stop thinking of next gen because they reuse the theme for the next gen theme. Yeah. And I've seen approximately 4,000 hours of next gen. <laughs> um, you know, this is, it occurred to me, this is the first time that they're doing this, right? The, it's the first time we're seeing the Enterprise in a uh, space dock, uh, mm. you know, undergoing repairs with, you know, and that becomes such a cliche almost of the series going forward, even in subsequent shows. This sort of the majesty of going up and seeing that ship being repaired and the possibilities that it represents. So, yes, it goes on too long. I think that the like the weakest sequence in the whole thing for me is the wormhole sequence. Where mm. suddenly there's like an asteroid in there, you know, we're going to hit it with, how did that get there? Because the wormhole was created by going to warp with a, you know, ship that wasn't ready. I mean, and there are a lot of sort of like 2001-esque uh, or wannabe 2001-esque sequences where you're just seeing sort of computer graphics or, yeah. you know, uh, something like that going through V'ger, you know, where it's like, some of that stuff is good, but some of it's like, okay, two minutes of like, yeah, you know, corridor, corridors. There's, there's little bits and pieces that I, I that I really like. So again, okay, on the shuttlecraft, them going and sort of, like you say, that veneration, sort of the moment the ship, do it. I've got no problem because it is cool, and you are being reintroduced to a character. Like you say, every other character gets a moment. You, you know, pretty much, you know, that you're in, reintroduced to all the the original characters, and the ship is, as you say, one of them and deserves that moment. But it still goes on too long. Mm-hmm. And then there are other moments, like you say, the bit where they're all warping and it's going slow. Like it, it doesn't pay off. It doesn't really matter enough to to be to to be what it is. Um, and again, the same way, like you say about Vija, when they're going into Vija. 
again the model work is astounding like someone's had to sit and make this thing like you know there is no computer effects in this there's no cg it's all it's all done with perspective and other bits and pieces like you know and different screenings but i love the fact that it gives a piece of scale there's a there's a shot from above of of enterprise traveling through the the vija ship and i love that because it gives this it gives you this idea of how absolutely massive uh this ship is or this this vija sort of like thing is but again like you're like yeah 30 seconds of that i've got i've got what you're telling me i'm i'm sort of a sophisticated audience i get what you're telling me you don't need to keep going with this and it's the same with the, the spock thing when he goes through and they're clearly trying to emulate the 2001 thing where he's in the trough and he's like, he's like there are planets and this and that and i'm like i get it you don't need to explain everything like this is going on to and so i think there is there's almost like a masturbatory Mm-hmm. stuff to this of like look what we can do look we're clever we we can do you know wondrous things you, you can but it, you, you you know you don't need to, too much of a good thing almost we're like, i'm bored of this by now so i think it has a tendency to do that it's it's hard because so much of what i like about this movie is that it is philosophical is that yeah. it is you know and it is indulgent of those sequences you know um one of the reasons why star trek you know, is greater than Star Wars is because there's a sense of speed, right? There's a sense mm. of place. There's not a sense of like, we'll be there in 20 minutes. How fast are you going? Does it matter? You know, uh, time, you know, that's one of the reasons why science, Star Wars is science fantasy is so much fun mm. is because, you know, all right, we're, we're at Alderaan, you know. Um, but so you know, in, in real life, of course, we don't have warp drive, but the distances we're talking about are so vast. And I do have questions about how vast V'ger is, yeah. um, you know, but I do like that they have this sense of journey, this sense of human discovery. Um, but as you say, it does feel like it goes on too long. I could live, I mean, look, Interstellar, at Astra, you know, which is horrible. Uh, those have long sequences, mm. you know, of the ships against black and 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 they work. But I do think this goes on too long and it goes on too long for me. It's not necessarily that I need less time. It's that like Spock going through and seeing the planets looks amazing. But then there are other shots that are just like, you know, smoke and corridors and, you know, and it's like, OK, a minute of that I do not need. Yes. It's about the pacing. It's about this thing of like you know, as an editor or even as a director, you were like, okay, this is what this is what. You're right in that, like, if you had say just three sequences that were indulgent in that way, you could revel in that mo those moments of indulgence because there's only three of them. But it seems to sort of they they just seem to do it a lot, and and again they sort of because they're also trying to. I, I feel they're also sort of. Uh, hampering it with this a similar um pacing in the character story so you get this sort of like you know the the languid pacing around these uh these massive moments the look at the ship the thing with the asteroids and spark and and, and then with vija and if it was just that it's fine <clears throat> but then throughout the film you get these like hanging shots on people's faces like again and again where like, and especially Ilya and um captain um what's his name is beckett a uh, decker. decker yeah yeah you get you know those things where they just lingers on their faces and stuff and you're like you know right this is now 
where you are being indulgent. Like you don't, you need this or the other, or or at least bring them both down. So it, <clears throat> it doesn't know when to stop, and that's the I think the part of the problem. Yeah, I think it's that's fair. I I think that if like when you're going through Viger, if you had more of sort of the close-ups on those walls, and yeah. you see the intricate machinery, that kind of thing, where you're like, oh wow we are in this massive place and it is so alien. And that's one thing this movie does right is Viger mm -hmm. is so alien. Um, you know, I could be much more entertained by that. of sort of watching those details and, and thinking, what does this mean? What are they getting into? And letting my mind go with that in the, that pace. But, you know, I always go back to that, that um, wormhole sequence where, um, that seems to me it's only there to put like a little bit of drama mm. in that moment, right? Yeah. Because it, it doesn't serve any purpose in terms of plot. I mean, there is a moment where V'ger is shooting at them and then they get through and it dissipates before it strikes them. So it's clear to me that they're trying to add drama yeah. to a story that centrally nothing happens, right? You know, we go to V'ger and we have a conversation. I mean, that's yeah. the, the plot in one sentence. It's the thing is as well, yeah. I mean, one of the things I was thinking about this as I was watching it that there is technically a ticking clock in this film because mm -hmm. Vija is heading to Earth. The whole point is that Vija, uh, this message they get, this 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 the sentient being that they've seen coming towards them, this massive entity, is coming to Earth, and, and you figure you are told it's looking for its creator. Or the creator. And so you are left to think, you know, is this God and this other thing? You know, we'll get into this that idea in a bit. But there's a ticking clock of it's going to reach Earth. And it's got this sort of this, they've given it this um this level of power. You know, this oh, it's, it's got it's it's got it can emanate this much power, <clears throat> this much sort of um, you know, whatever. And then someone actually says, Well, you couldn't generate that with a thousand starships. So they give you this idea of how powerful Vija is, and you go, Okay, heading towards Earth. But at no point does that ticking clock ever really feel like it has stakes. <clears throat> and I think, you know, if you were to redo this in the modern film, you'd be like, right, Vija's so massive, even from this distance, it's a fact in gravity. It's a fact in the tides. It's doing something to the planet Earth. Even Vija's presence in the solar system is having an effect. Like There needs to be some sort of stakes. Never comes up, <laughs> and it just feels like a, again, like the, the ticking clock. What, what, right, what's it going to do? It's not until the very end, or no, close to the end, that you re that, that you're actually told that the Vija wants to use all the carbon um, entities as data pods or whatever. So you think, oh, okay, it's going to try and wipe out the. That should all be right at the beginning, mm -hmm. like, and it, it, that's the other part of the pacing. Like information drops keep coming at odd moments. Yeah, well, I mean, I like, you know, I traditionally like the sort of like peeling of the onion slow mm. reveal in movies. Um, but you're right. I mean, there isn't that same sense of stakes. I mean, this is so like people love Star Trek First Contact, right, with the Borg mm -hmm. and Picard. That's, yeah, I mean, it's a horrible movie structurally. But um, it right away, it sets, here's the stakes, you know, the, these, you know, weirdly alien things that are semi-mechanical are going to Earth. Mm. And right away, it's Earth is at stake. This movie has that same thing, but you never feel like it. And you're, yeah. you're completely right. Um, here's, I mean, uh, it's sort of implied because you see the sort of digitized starships that are destroyed at the beginning, that it, that Viger is 
in destroying them, it's like Captain Power, you know, digitizing them. Yeah. Like it's creating a scan of it that is made manifest inside it. Um, and you see whole planets. Mm. So there is this implication that it may have destroyed a swath of planets on its way. Wouldn't the Federation have heard of this? Yeah, you know, that, like, that sort of... Because the thing, thing is... A way to set those stakes early on, exactly, right? Like, I'm thinking... Unicron. <laughs> exactly what I was going to say. Like This is a Unicron moment or like Galactus or something. Like, you need a Herald. There's something that needs to come back. You need... And again, I, I know I do this, and I'm sorry if I keep this, but like, those three... <laughs> Those three, because they're birds of prey out there, they're Klingon birds of prey that get destroyed at the beginning. Like, why that doesn't seem to have more of an issue? Like, you know, the Klingons should be like raging about this thing. Like, it should be like, we've got to deal with this. Now, is it coming to our planet? But the Klingons are coming as well. Mm. Like, because mm-hmm. it, it's pissed them off. But I, I would, I think, a better version of this, sorry, and <laughs> is that it's actually a, a Klingon bird of prey limps into and gets found by, um, the federation a federation ship and that is then like we had to help the Klingon. they were so scared of this thing they couldn't have that they, they actually ha- they asked for federation help that's how big of a problem this is and it's headed this way mm-hmm. you know something that so, so it doesn't have, i don't you know you, you haven't got to see um it destroying planets and stuff because i think like you know that's obviously costly and it's it's not the drama or the, the spectacle they want but if you're like, yeah, no, we couldn't do anything. The thing's massive and it's coming to the extent that the Klingons are going, we've got to talk to the Federation about this. Um, yeah, I mean, I I would just have it destroying planets. I mean, yeah. I, I would I would have, you know, the planet can disappear in a glow like those ships do. Um, but I mean, you know, you're right that, you know, the, there should be more of a sense of the politics with the Klingons. Um, you know, you could even have like some Klingon survivor out in space who you know they encounter uh like you're saying or or even encounter inside viger you know mm. um um but you know to give a sense of stakes right away and have like obviously with today's effects it would be like okay here's the fleet of ships out to defend this planet watch viger just destroy all of them and then the entire planet is dead and and it's like you know we've got a better course after uh, a better course reading uh admiral it's headed straight to earth you know cue yeah. title sequence right this should be a no-brainer but you're right that i mean it's remarkable how low those stakes feel yeah. even though clearly all of earth is in jeopardy and there is this ticking clock and there are moments where they reference this right i mm-hmm. mean like he says you know the, i think the feud between kirk and decker is is masterfully done mm. and i really love it um but you know, it's subtle. And one of the reasons for keeping Decker on is, you know, and for that feud is big, the ticking clock. But it's has this sort of like weird Solaris like stoicism of all of the characters where it's like, yes, you know, we're operating uh, under a ticking clock. The Earth yeah. will be destroyed in approximately 40 hours. So maybe keep your thoughts to yourself, Decker. Yeah, like, yeah. why are you talking like that? It's true again, and this, this is where you know, and I know, I know this is a first outing as a film, and they're trying to do something, <clears throat> and you get like the characters, the characters again, like you know, it's it's great to see Shatner as Kirk and and Spark and you know Nimoy as Spark and DeForest Kelly as as, as um, 
McCoy, like I enjoy seeing them, especially McCoy. Like I think I, I've always liked McCoy's crankiness. Like I, I aspire to be him at a point in time. <laughs> that's that's my dream. Um, but and I I love seeing them. But but you're right. Like Spock being logical about all this and almost being indifferent to the count to the to the ticking clock. It's fine because it makes sense. You know, you've like, oh, he's looking for this truth. He's looking you know, logically. He's like, well, this is what I'm looking for and stuff. And they even say like at one point. His his mission is not directly linked to ours. Like he's looking for the truth. We're trying to protect Earth. Can he be trusted? Um, but yeah, you, you know, at no point does McCoy sort of like kick off with Spark to say, you know, you're heartless elf. Like you know, there's billions of people's lives at stake here, and all you caring about is your own search for the truth. Like at no point does is that confrontation come to the fore. When it should, like you know, it clearly, you know, it's, there are points when, like, um, it, it, like you say, it just feels a bit more like they're going out for a country drive a little bit at times, <laughs> and they're like, Well, we are going to see this crazy thing, but well, yeah, here we might be running up against the strengths and weaknesses of Roddenberry's approach, um, yeah. because Roddenberry was given a phenomenal degree of control of this yeah. film, um, and so just to sort of like back up. Um, Star Trek was one of the first shows that got a third season because fans wrote in, you know, yeah. it was, it was saved. Yeah. Um, and then Roddenberry kind of didn't pay much attention through the third season. And then they did this animated show and it mm-hmm. was, you know, a hit for animated shows in the seventies. And so, um, you know, they saw these, um, conventions getting started and, um, you know, the studio was eager to do a movie and then couldn't get a script that they liked with Roddenberry. They shifted to a TV show. And then the success of Star Wars and also Close Encounters of the Third Kind, not mm. being a kick-ass science fantasy thing, helped convince Paramount to, you know, fund it as a picture. And they took the the script for the two-part pilot episode in Thy Image and turned it into, you know, with massive edits, turned it yeah, into yeah. this. Um but Roddenberry was given a lot of control, and one of Roddenberry's best parts, is, you know, of his ideas is this idea of stories being about something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I adore that, and this is the most Roddenberry of the mm-hmm. six movies in that sense. But also Roddenberry hated the idea of uh, conflict between the crew members. Yeah. Even, you know, Bones telling like Bones telling Spock, like, you lily liver, you cold blooded Vulcan, you don't care if we all die as long as you collect your precious data. You yeah. know, that, you know, Roddenberry let that stuff get on the original show. But he the idea was that, you know, look, man, in the future, when these are people, they're not being paid. They're doing this for the sheer love of it. They're not going to fight amongst themselves. And so all of those plots were historically resisted mm. by Roddenberry and the old guard. So it's possible that Roddenberry toned that stuff down and, and he was replaced for Star Trek two. I mean, in fact, yeah. Roddenberry supposedly <laughs> thought Star Trek two was, should not be in continuity. <laughs> but it's madness, right? <laughs> yeah. It's clear. I mean, it, <coughs> it's interesting that when you watch this, that is clear. That there's like a complete lack of of um, interpersonal conflict between the crew, and I'm fine with that to an extent. 
you know, because again, this is a, a group of people that have, they went on this crazy adventure, you know, five years, deep space, exploring and adventuring and all sorts of stuff. Like they trust each other, they know each other. So there's a there's a bond there. And I'm sort of completely comfortable with this idea of them trusting each other. And so there's less interpersonal conflict. However, if you are going to introduce something that is world ending, you then need to be able to have an element of, of, of interpersonal conflict about that. The whole point of the whole point of that trinity uh, of characters of Kirk, Spock. No, I'm not. I haven't watched the the original series in quite a few years, and I used to love it, and I, I will go back to it one day. But the original, I always remember for me that original trinity of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy was supposed to represent different elements you know like spock is logic and so he was supposed to be that cool level-headed science officer um and you know mccoy was that thing around heart and compassion like you know to, to almost look at a grouchy thing but then you've got the bravado and the bollocks of kirk and so that was so it was, it was this idea of these three elements and together they fought that they you know like this perfect trinity that could resolve all these issues but between them you needed to have those things in conflict for him to say no you're right you know actually your way is probably better let's do that and come to the come to the conclusion but with this like it literally happens in a heartbeat like several times even with decker decker like points something out and kirk just goes nope you're right okay move on and, and it's like what what I know you're supposed to, Roddenberry wants to have this idea of this utopian future of these evolved people, but like you can't have that and then have Kirk take over the ship based on some flimsy excuse of I've got I've got more more experience than you. It's like no 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 you're See, clearly I, I, doing I this because you want to be on the ship. No, that's I mean that. that's true. But I mean look look Kirk piloted the Enterprise. This is the same ship, right? It's still 170, NCC 1701, mm -hmm. right? It's not even A. And, you know, it's just been retrofitted. And Kirk, Kirk has encountered so many beings, you know, that are like, you know, threatening yeah. Earth, uh, you know, tremendous, you know, I mean, he has acquitted himself well. I totally buy that with the Earth potentially in jeopardy, they want him back in charge. Having said that, like, I love that conflict, but part of why with Decker, you know, because Kirk has to swallow his ego, but he does it, like you say, right? There's no, there's, you know, the problem is when you remove those fights, there isn't the drama. Yeah. And so instead what you see is like, oh, wait a minute, Kirk of all people is being like a mature human being and saying like, you know, yeah, you're right. I, you were quite right to contramand my orders with a wormhole thing. I don't know the ship as well as you. I still think it's better off with me in command and Starfleet agrees, but I rely on you now to represent another point of view. And from then on, he never listens to Decker again. Yeah. But they, I love this, like, oh, wait, you can have a mature sensibility. I mean, that actually is probably the most captain-like I've ever seen Kirk behave um in the entire show's history yeah and i'm fine with that but then it, it it just seems so placid and that's that's sort of where you know because it, 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 it sort of spikes and then returns to a status quo so like when he does tell decker he's taken over and i agree the reason for him taking over is fine but he, he doesn't it's not like 
the Federation didn't come to him and say, we think you should be in charge of this ship because of this situation. He went to the Federation and basically said, I'm taking the ship and had to convince them. And they said that there's, a, there's obviously someone, even Scotty makes a, a, a comment on you, you know, or you had to convince her. And he's like, well, that was tough. And they laugh about it. So it wasn't it wasn't like a foregone conclusion. Like he's had to convince them and, and bluff his way in. And so I'm like, so he wanted this. That's Kirk. That's Kirk. That's the bravado. That's the sort of like, you know, um, that we know and we know and love. And so what he tells Decker, and Decker's like, Decker clearly knows there's that confrontation, and Decker clearly knows why he's done it. Because mm-hmm. Decker's like, oh, come on. You know, you're telling me you've got this five years experience. You, you, yeah, all right, it's your shit, whatever. And he, you know, he tries to sort of placate him by saying, no, I want you here to be my sort of number one. Which seems, it feels like this is the first time you get that commander captain relationship, which I don't think really exists. You know, obviously you get with Riker in, in, in um, Next Gen. And this feels like that is is almost like the birth of that as a relationship, as a, as a, as a, um, you do get it in the cage, right? Literally, number one is the female. Uh, yes, number one. But it's never again. It doesn't really come right. back again yeah. until the until next gen, does it? But so it feels it feels makes sense. But there's still that resentment, and you see it through Decker a few times when he keeps pointing things out to Kirk. And I'm not saying I want him to fight across the bridge, or you know, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not. I don't want. I'm not looking for J.J. Abrams levels of, of conflict. But I want it to be a little bit more of a clash of personalities where it takes more than him pointing out that I'm supposed to be here to challenge you. And Kurt going, you're right. You are. You are right. It, it's like it just feels too easy again where I'm like, you know, I, I do like their relationship. I do like the, and I like how it, it escalates to and to the ending makes sense. But it still feels too placid as a relationship. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting is I keep coming back to Roddenberry because, you know, you're quite right. Even the sort of classic trilogy, tri- um, Trinity there is not there with McCoy. You know, I mean, you kind of get a couple scenes. He, mm. It's more important that he's scared of the transporter than that he really challenges anybody. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this sounds to me like this is it sounds like this is all Roddenberry to me. Mm. Uh, and I think you're right about all of this. But what amazes me is this is so antithetical to the original show that the original show, uh, obviously, you know, when the cage wasn't picked up, part of the, you know, they did a second pilot, which was unheard of. But, you know, they wanted to cast a more appealing leading man and have it more actiony. Mm. And it is true. Every single episode of the original Star Trek has a fight scene in it, even if it is the most gratuitous, (laughs) like, you know. So, you know, the irony is the original Star Trek would have gone for that Abrams-like thing. It's like every, you know, one of the things that as a writer, I mean, I think the original Star Trek, much like the original Twilight Zone, I see as a writer how structurally well done those mm. episodes are, typically. But, um, but uh, you know, one thing that I really love about them as a writer is that they go for that entertainment. They go for that fight scene. And... It's not a dumb fight scene usually, but I mean, they go, they're not scared to kill off a character. And it's like, you know, oh, Spock's dead. He's, you know, Spock or Kirk die every 10th episode. Yeah. You know, and then there's a twist and you find, but they're not scared to go for that kind of like pulpiness mm. in the midst of 
these grand plots that we, you know, that still live in our heads and in all of sci-fi history. And this movie really is not interested in that stuff that, you know, you're citing as the Abrams stuff, but that, you know, Abrams picked up and then multiplied by five or something. Yeah, it basically took it to Star Wars levels. But um, it's again, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not, you're right, there, there are fights, and but there's never an excuse for a fight in this film. I'm sure they could have, like you say, shoehorned one in quite easily. Um, but it, even like human conflict on that sort of like, you know, facing off, it it, it, it never reaches that level. And I, I agree, it must be the Roddenberry thing. Um, And so it's that fine line. I'm glad it doesn't go full you know, uh, crazy action. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm glad it doesn't go the full pulpy route because it, it, it would feel incongruous with what they're trying to say and what the film's about. Um, but again, it just, if, if you're not going to have it as physical violence, you, you at least want to feel stakes and like, there's going to be human drama. Like there's got to be something else. Um, and it, it, you know, it never quite boils enough for me to be sort of like, you know, these characters are feeling something. Yeah, it, it sort of occurs to me that all of these conflicts are, and even all of the characters' arcs are sort of like done as if they're grace notes. They're not, you know, every character has an arc, right? I mean, Kirk gets his, you know, he has to suck, he gets his command back, but he has to suck up his ego, you know. Spock has this brilliant arc where by the end of it, he's not the same character. I mean, he's nope. rejected Colin R., which is weird. It occurs as an adult in here and as a kid in the Abrams movie, but okay, whatever. And then, you know, I'm such a geek. Then, you know, um, by the end, he's crying out of sympathy for V'ger. Um, And he says, you know, V'ger was much as I was when I came on board, meaning he's no longer that, you know, Trinity guy who's just a logical guy. Not that he really ever was, but, um, you know, and, you know, the Ilya Decker love interest thing of like, you left me. You know, could you have said goodbye? They get one conversation about that. Yeah. That should be more of a subplot, right? There should be more tension there. And I and I love that subplot. I love those characters. They don't do much with it. And so it, it seems as if, like, I don't know, like, have, have, has, has somebody just revised this script over and over again until all of those moments are just whittled down to these little grace I- notes? I think so because you know for me uh, yeah that, that's how I saw it and uh, for me like I say watching this talking about Ilya and Decker like there's a sweetness to them there really is and, and I, th- I think it plays well because they're both quite young and attractive people um but there's this sort of like this is backstory that's never really explored of like oh I worked on her homeworld and, and sort of like you know she's this brilliant um you know, she she come through the Federation or the, the Academy. She's brilliant, and there's clearly this admiration, mutual admiration, as well as a crush or whatever. Like you don't know what relationship they've had for a while, and then obviously a little bit is 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 illuminated later. But there should be again this thing of, um, is this you know like Kirk should, should be challenging me like is you know you're my deck crew, so is is this going to be a problem? Mm-hmm. Well, no, of course it's not because there's no interpersonal d- conflict. In, in Roddenberry's future. <laughs> All right, so that's not going to be addressed. We're not worried about it. So it, it just feels like there's not that thing. But it, again, it just needs it to make it the stakes feel. So when she when she's taken, it, it, you know, um, it should be like a heart-stopping moment. That should be a gut punch. She should have been, like, she should have been almost becoming part of the crew. You know, you'd want, like, her and Michelle, um, 
you know, Uhura uh, becoming Pally and like, you know, almost like she should start to feel like she's modeling with and then taken. But like the fact that she's just taking you're like, oh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, nobody mourns for her. And no, when she comes back as, a, as an android, which is, you know, quite delightful. And I, I, I love all of that stuff. Decker seems mildly miffed at it. Nobody ever says like, it's terrible. She's dead. <laughs> you know? There's not even one line in there. Yeah, yeah. Like not until the end. And it's an you know when the, when Kirk makes his, his his announcement about their death. But like yeah, it, it never feels like because you know let's let's be clear. Like you know there's there's moments where you could be like okay, the, this this thing entering the ship and taking her. Could it have been avoided? Like, should someone be blaming somebody else? Is there going to be conflict around that? Nope, she's taken. And it, it's almost like everyone just walks away. And Kirk picks up her tricord and sort of hands it off. And you're like, well, this is somber. Nope, move on to the next scene. Well, it is kind of, I mean, but it's strange, those same choices. Like, you remember there's the assembly of the entire crew in that sort of, you know, giant room, which is, you know, mm. new for this version of the Enterprise. Um, and they could not have afforded that kind of set on the yeah. original show. So that's one of these like, aha, we're doing it as a big budget movie moment. And they watch outside of the original group of like Klingons getting destroyed. You watch a Federation fleet be mm. uh, uh, ship be destroyed and everybody turns to Kirk. And it's this great moment. I mean, I love this moment. I love that that set. Everybody turns to Kirk and this is his first moment where they're looking to him as their captain as the new captain right yeah who's going to lead them into the unknown and the high chance of death and he just says like back to your post you know, and walks away <laughs> you know and i think we're supposed to feel like kind of let down by that but at the same time again you know like the old kirk would have said you know bones is there something i could have done you know yeah sort of dramatic uh but with that tricorder scene and Ilya being taken away, you sort of feel like, oh, no, this movie just doesn't want to go there. It's not that Kirk is struggling to find his sea legs. It's just that this movie does in a weird way. Like this movie's undergone the culinar. Yeah. It, yeah. It's very cold towards its characters because they don't even try and do anything like she's taken. And so but there's no one like and again. You know, it, it becomes space babble, but like, get on the scan. Are there any life signs out there? Can you track Ilya's life sign or something? They don't even attempt it. Like, there's nothing. They're just like, oh, she's gone. <laughs> That's unfortunate. Like, you know, it, it's, it just never, it never, it doesn't have, I, and this is where I think, like you say, Roddenberry knows what his vision is, but he, do, he can't do dramatic entertainment which is what this a film's got to be because that's the point in, in this entertainment and it like because it feels so cold it 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 fails in in pulling me in in certain ways um, i mean i don't want decker falling to his knees with a big no it, like, you know that's too far but there needs to be some repercussions and you said about um this film is about you know consequences all right Show me some consequences of smaller actions of the crew throughout the film so that when we get to the big, you know, centuries wide consequences, mm -hmm. you can have it relate to the people in the film. 
you know, that's it's simple stuff. Yeah, and and you also want to feel. I mean, you also want to feel at the end of this movie like, wow, they got out of this by the skin of their teeth, and if it wasn't for a point in Kirk, the Earth would have been destroyed and things would have gone very differently, right? Mm. That's the hero's journey, right? Yeah. You want to feel that. You don't feel that at the end of the movie, right? Yeah. You just feel like, oh, well, that has been resolved. Let us continue into space. Um, yeah, so you're quite right. I mean, and I keep thinking of uh, Star Trek Two which, you know, certainly goes for that action and goes for those human moments mm. um, where Scotty's, um, you know, uh, nephew is killed. Yeah. And Scotty shows up on the turbo lift just holding the body and he's broken up and he says and he basically he says something like, you know, these are the consequences. Right. Yes, yes we survive, but there's a moral remainder here. Mm. And. There's no attempt to do that with Ilya being taken. Or... No, no. And th- th- again, like, you know, th- you say about the moral, the moral remainder. There's nothing in this film. Th- this film is cold to morality. Like it's not talking about. It's an intellectual film. It's, it's, it's. It, you know, and we'll get to the idea of sentience actually in a minute. Um, but that's what it is, isn't it? It, it, it? You are following Spock, really. I mean, this is the idea. Of, like you know, you start with it with him on that having the. Uh, I can't even pronounce it. Kulinar. And and it goes, you know, this idea of him sort of like, you know, trying to get to pure logic and then sort of breaking up, breaking down and stuff to, uh, throughout the film. But the film, the film, like I say, even the result, even the um, uh, the the, the resu- resolution to the problem at the end is all very easy. Um, there's a thing I watch on YouTube and it's called uh, pitch pitch meetings. And it's sort of like, you know, they run through the plots in a silly way for films and they have a phrase and he go, it says sort of like, you know, um, barely an inconvenience, you know, sort of like, well, that must be incredibly difficult. So, you know, no, 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 not at all. Barely an inconvenience. That's how the ending of this film feels. It's like, Oh, we figured it out. If you've got the codes, we've got the codes. Are oh, the wires not working? Cause it doesn't want, you know, I've got a question about that. The wires yeah. not working. Right. So it's all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna merge with it. Hang on. No 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 no. Like it's just so sort of like. Well, if that's not the answer, this is the answer. And I, I know you say about like Ilya's the, the the reaction of her looking to to um, Decker. Decker and this had this emotional look, but there's no conversation then going. You know, it, and I know maybe it's cheap and poor people like you know this idea of like maybe the machine was more human than we are sort of thing like. No, none of it like there's no repercussions it's, it, it, and Decker even says like no I want this mm-hmm. do you do, do you what has told me before yeah. this scene that you are willing to do this nothing because we've not had any human conflict yes I mean he's not broken up by her death I mean you know and I, I kept wondering when he's tasked with sort of following the android Ilya around like you know I know it's not going to happen because I've seen this 800 times but mm. Is is he going to have a moment where he's like, God damn, you know, like you've killed the real, the real yeah. moment, you know, um, where you just see that rage or that, twi- you know, that lip sort of curl as he's holding yeah. back a resentment uh, towards her. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, he's got to parade this, you know, this being around the ship and not and he's very good at it. It's like, again, mm. he's that Roddenberry character who's like, I will do my duty, damn it. Um, 
But because we don't see that, there is no characterization for why he sort of spontaneously decided. And again, I like this. I like that conversation at the end. I like that it's not such a grand thing, you know, that it's not endless obstacles and, you know, a fight. And but you're but because it's not characterized, because you don't have those character moments, it doesn't feel like an emotional payoff the way it should. Yeah. Yeah. It, I want more with Decker and Ilya. I mean, Ilya comes from a planet, very Roddenberry character, where yeah. they have sex at the drop of a hat, right? Yeah. So for them to serve on a ship, very Roddenberry. Roddenberry yeah. was all, I, you can see either a perv, who there have been a lot of allegations mm-hmm. about, frankly, uh, about his pervy behavior on set, um, but also very sex positive, mm. you know? Women are not shamed in Ron and Barry's universe, you know. Um, but you know this. So this sounds like that pervy little side of Ron and Barry going like, "Okay, Star Trek Phase Two, we're gonna have a woman who she's sex crazed." You know, yeah. <laughs> um, they have to take a vow of celibacy just to serve on the ship because of the chaos that would be created <laughs> otherwise. I mean, that's awesome. That that could be either horrible or really fascinating. Um, and obviously, as a past with Decker, Decker is intended to be, and it's confirmed, you know, that he is the son of Decker, the Captain Decker from the Doomsday Experiment. Mm. Uh, so his father was died serving along, you know, with Kirk, trying to take down a, you know, a, you know, giant threat. Um, no mention of that. No mention of no. any backstory, you know. There's so much potential there that this movie just doesn't care about. No, I, mean, I, I want to come into costume in a second, but um, one of the things I've, I, that struck that's striking me as we talk about this is this idea that Roddenberry has that these are evo- more evolved social creatures, you know, these humans. The fact of the matter is, fine, that's fine. I don't mind that so much. And it's a great and grand, beautiful idea of the utopian future where we are, you know, we have we have sort of sorted out all the world's problems and we're now going off into space to solve everybody else's problems, which still sounds a bit like a colonizer idea. But, you know, that's that's besides the point. It's a wonderful utopian future. We are not living in that wonderful utopian future and we like drama. That's what gain entertainment from so whilst it's a a beautiful vision it doesn't marry up to the needs or the desires of an audience and that's why i think you then get wrath of khan which is exactly the opposite which is solely driven by revenge and you know one of the most heartfelt moments of the entire uh, trek franchise is of of spock sacrificing himself and sort of you know the moment of like you know i will always be your friend it's the complete opposite of this film. Um, and so I think one of the most frustrating things is we were talking about something else before before we recorded. We were talking about Space Dandy. And and you said in that that like it's about 30 degrees off. You know, it's wonderful. It's amazing and weird. But like there's moments where you're like, I'm not sure this is right. And again, this film is just about 10 degrees off being a really, really good film. Yes. No, this movie is, you know... Yeah, I don't feel the need to remake Star Trek 2. I mean, Star Trek 2 is as near perfect as most movies ever get. Yeah. Uh, and, and amazing from a writerly standpoint, mm. from an acting standpoint, you know, all of it. Um, you know, I'm fascinated by 3, you know, but 
there's a version of three I might remake. But more than anything, Star Trek one begs for a remake. It begs yeah. for it's got so many great ideas and so many great characters and so many great moments. But you're right. They're all sort of weirdly toned down or, you know, it avoids this drama in, in a way that um, doesn't make sense that, you know, it, it's like that need not take away from the human adventure, from the philosophical content. Um, and damn it, I'm an American. And that's what we're supposed to be good at is yeah. merging, you know, the mm. action with the philosophy in a way that is a package that you can sell to people, but has some depth. You know, this movie does not want to be that movie. No, and that's not so. Like you say, I'm, I, I don't. W when watching it, I don't ever go, you know, like this is rubbish. I'm enjoying it again. Like I think, and I think it is carried again. Like you know, everyone, everyone rips on Shatner. Like you know, Shatner becomes, and he's happy. I think with his place and his lot in all these things. Like you know, he's clearly made enough money that he's a bit like, don't care. Um, but like. I'm not gonna lie. His charisma in this clearly carries a lot, you know. And, and, and there's a reason he was chosen to play Kirk, um, mm -hmm. and he he has got a likability and an affability that you are able to follow. So it works on that front. I'm enjoying watching him and and this you know the thing that lives on his head more than <laughs> more than happy to to watch. And the same with Nimoy. Like Nimoy yes. is really good. He's excellent in this. Um, and so and there's a scene between the three of them uh, when you do get the Trinity and Kirk's obviously sort of, you know, sorry, Spock has obviously gone through the colonel and he's still sort of having this, he's still this cold, logical being sort of like he hasn't broken away from that, or hasn't sort of, you know, iced, uh, de-iced from it. And, you know, um, McCoy keeps prodding him and, and sort of like you know, little ribs at him to try and sort of break through and you can see that there's a there's a res mutual respect there but like it's there to try and break the ice and kirk just saying to him like sit down and he's like he just doesn't listen and then they say like, look there's almost like the, 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 the one moment of humanness where he's like look mm. sit down and then you know and just seeing the three of them i'm like i'm really liking this scene yeah it works and it ends but it ends with mccoy saying are you sure his knee his mission is aligned to ours and it's a nice little moment of tension where you're like oh yeah hang on it is spock to be trusted and then you get the bit where he does go he goes and sort of takes the suit and the, the jetpack and stuff and and so the, there's little moments like that where i'm like no, there are good ideas like you say there are good even for drama in this there are moments and there are beats where you go like this is just a couple of degrees off being a fantastic film like yeah. you know yeah and then and that moment that question about spock i mean first of all that happened on the original series all yeah, the time yeah. uh in fact a fellow trekkie friend of mine you know uh we sort of have this uh theory we've worked up that spock is secretly a traitor and that uh every time the ship is in jeopardy or whatever it so happens spock's at the station when yeah. something goes wrong <laughs> you know um but uh, no, I mean, Spock is is there's always that sort of xenophobia mix in the original show that's mm. that you're supposed to overcome. But the characters struggle with it. Um, it it's certainly there when they introduce the Romulans and mm. they suspect Spock because he looks like them. Right. That's racism. Um, but that yeah, then that scene, that idea is just completely dropped. 
Yeah. Um, you could just totally forget that scene ever happened. Um, but I, I love I, people trash those uniforms in this. I love the uniforms in this. I w- uh, yeah, I and, agree. and I love Spock's black colon R, you know, like really just like Vulcan and alien. And those shots on Vulcan are, you know, I, I watch them and I think they're so much better than the junk we get today, mm. you know, where you see the giant statues and this austere society that you're you're supposed to sort of venerate and like, but at the same time feels cold and distant and fascistic in a way that yeah. makes you uncomfortable. No, I agree. I was going to talk about the uniforms and the costuming in this. And because one of the things that drives me nuts about the Star Trek, and in fact, it happens with a lot of franchises, is any militaristic franchise, when you go from film to film and the uniforms vary so wildly, like whoever does the tailoring for uh, the Federation wakes up and says, today we're going to have huge epaulets and embroidery. And then, you know, and then three years later, we're going to tone it down. I'm going to do body stockings today. It's, like, it's all over the place. But I do kind Good of news. like... We've yeah. got a new design. Come on, it's wicked. And it's, it's, the thing is, though, like the, the costuming, again, in this is really good. Mm-hmm. It's consistent. I, the, the, one of the things I was looking for, and again, it's, 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 um, there were two things I was looking for in that scene that you mentioned when they're on the, the recreational deck and and uh, kirk uh, addresses them all is is there is there consistency between the uniform or have they gone everybody's gonna have different and are there aliens and actually yes the uniforms are all consistent you can clearly see that there are people in specific uniforms that do specific duties um and even even Kirk, like because he's addressed them, he's in slightly different. But when he gets onto the to the deck later, he's now in a uniform that matches Decker, so he's wearing a like a an, you know a fleet uniform, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uniform. yeah. And in that scene, there are several aliens in the background. Like we're not talking. And and Andorian, there's yeah. an Andorian. Yeah, I love you can, them. You can see all this stuff. No, no, none of that appears on on the bridge. Fine, but that's and that's most likely down to budget, where they were like. We can't afford to have that person in a shot <laughs> all the time. It costs money, so we'll have them in that one shot, and then we won't talk about it again. Like you know, that's and that I understand that that's a, a, an issue of the era and the budget these films have. But they did it. They still have a fitter shot where I can go. Well, that person, that person, that person, that person are all wearing a white uniform with these certain things on the shoulders. That's fine. And those ones, they all match Scotty. And those ones, I'm like, great, I can see there is a consistency on this. It's, it's been given thought. Mm-hmm. And I respect that. I completely respect it. Um, so, that, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of digging the uniforms as well. Like, you know, one of the things I, I, I like the fact that, again, talking about the wider franchise, when you watch, like, Enterprise, and it's supposed to be those early doors, the uniforms are more like jumpsuits. They're designed to be a bit more engineering. You know, they're designed to be in that way. But by this point, mm, mm-hmm. they'd be like, no, we basically we basically fly around in a yacht. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's you know technology. We're basically on a, a luxury liner. We can wear whatever we want. We can look we can look fabulous in these seventies disco suits. <laughs> uh, um, so no, I I do I I think the costuming in this film is great. Yeah, I feel the same way. Um... And, uh, I, you know, I do 
you know, one of the questions that I that I to change the subject, one of the questions that I have about this this film is I love the whole V'ger thing. I love the unintended consequences in that scene. You were talking about when he addresses them and you have seen the the other crew die. Um, that other crew says that V'ger is enormous and measures two AU. <laughs> now, I probably didn't know when I was a kid in the 80s, but that means that the diameter of Eger is twice the distance from the sun to the earth. I did that's not a, know that. That's an AU is an astronomical unit, right? So be, <laughs> us being on earth with one AU is the distance from the sun to the earth. So that lets us say like, oh, okay, this planet is seven AU out, you know, it gives you some idea. Um, so that is how enormous, I mean, like, <laughs> you know, and so when it's over earth at the end, you were talking about like now look it's mostly massless right i mean you mm -hmm. do see it's mostly hollow inside okay fine but still <laughs> it is so big that it would encompass earth you know for mercury venus yeah. uh, and earth well, there, right? are and there, the are, there are planets inside it aren't there yes yes the actual you know now are those digitized Did oh, i didn't know them? i i don't know i want point. that answered yeah, I don't know, because that bit when Spock's sort of floating through, and he does, and you do see planets, and it looks cool, it does look really cool, but I was like, is he in sort of one of those sort of astronomy domes, you know, where they're like projecting things onto a big ceiling? I don't know, but it looks cool. But yeah, that, to know that it's that big is, you know, that's... <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know whether I like that or not, to be honest. <laughs> not, not in our solar system, right? I mean, no. at that point, it's just like... It's a bit crowded. You've ripped every planet out of its orbit, you, you know. Yeah, because even just by your gravity, like you say, even being massless, it's 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 still an energy field, and it's still going to have that that energy field is going to have an impact on other things around it. So yeah, that that feels a little silly, but um, yeah, right. I mean, you know, you're certainly even even if Mars happens to be you know, on the opposite side of the sun, um, you know, you probably you certainly have asteroids. You know, there's a lot that is floating into V'ger. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's very weird. It is, that's little... never mentioned again. And you don't see a shot of, like, it in our solar system with, like, a tiny, tiny Earth. You just see the little probes. Yeah. But there again is the sense of stakes. Like, you don't have a – you have that ticking time timer, even though they don't really give you the stakes. But you also don't really see it outside of Earth. No, and that again, that comes down to this idea that you know you need you need like a, someone with a dramatic sense to have done a run over of the script to say this is actually you know can we can we tone this up or do this and then, then they can happily argue with Gene Roddenberry. Um, but one, let, let's talk about Vija because um, again, I, I both I both I both like and I've, I've questions about okay. Vija. Um, so Voyager 6, clearly, you know, sent space, fine. I love the fact it relates back to during the late 70s, we were still sending stuff into space. The, you know, the, the uh, space exploration, NASA was still very, very strong. Um, so it feels relevant. And I love the fact that they did that. That's cool. Really good, really good idea. This idea of voyager being found after over how many years and by a tech a technology planet or a robot planet or mechanical planet what they call it 
it's programmed as prime yeah basically yeah or at least the original primes <laughs> and then it's basic programming being understood and then being sent back out with a bunch of kit is is fascinating I, I, again i like it as an idea that this thing met or was, was was found by an alien race and they basically upgraded it mm-hmm. and sent it back out again so it could fulfill its mission and return back but then in doing so it spent so long and was able to gather so much information that it, it became sentient and again like you know it, it's I, I i'm loving all these ideas i think it's a great sci-fi concept unfortunately it refers to itself as vija because the badge on the side of it is covered in dirt <laughs> that bit yeah. i have a little bit of a problem with yeah i mean i that's that's one of those classic revelations right where you know i mean it's got to be one of the best sort of the best instance of this in, in all of sci-fi history where you wipe off the thing yeah. and it's like oh that was us. That was, mm. you know, Voyager. I still, you know, my problem was always if they've upgraded it, could you not get a hose? Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. and, and also, like, does it have, I guess it's got cameras everywhere, you know, so it's looking at its outside and, and seeing, you know, Voyager. I mean, yeah, I mean, that bugs me a little, but that revelation works so well. That, I, I mean, I'm, I'm okay with it. Yeah, it's a nitpick. It's a nitpick, and I think because I know what it is, I'm a bit, yeah. you know, because I've seen that revelation so many times. I'm like, I'm like you. I'm like a sponge, not even a sponge. <laughs> Kirk, Kirk does it with spit on his thumb, basically, and I'm yeah. like, could someone not have, have, you know, figured that out? Um, but w- what are your thoughts well, on this also, idea? Also, look at look at the plaque, you know, on the side of yourself. Yeah. If you can see yeah. the V'ger, why do you not see, you know, the naked human standing Da Vinci style? Vitruvian style. That's true. Yeah. No, it, it's. Um, but what are your thoughts on this idea of it gaining sentience? You know, gaining information and gaining sentience. Um, I, I love this. I mean, I, I love. I love Viger. Um mm. And you know, there was a um, there was a comic done like a year or two ago of uh, Star Trek and Transformers. They're doing all these mm. crossovers. And they cross over the animated Star Trek with Transformers, yes. and they had like a space, uh, a USS Enterprise, the 1701 that transforms into, uh, I think it's Fortress Ace. Maximus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it looks cool. I want that toy, by the way. Uh, it doesn't exist, but um, maybe I'll build it. Um, but it seems to me like, no, like, this is so ready for that story. Mm. Guess what? The planet that Voyager fell on was Cybertron. And you do get this kind of mashad of a mechanical planet. So before any Transformers movies were made, before even Transformers was launched as a franchise, I've always been fascinated by uh, AI and synthetic life and, you know, uh, issues of consciousness. And so I loved, I mean, that that few seconds in all of these self-indulgent sequences of graphics, those few seconds where you see a robotic planet. And even though you never see... Today, we could actually do this with CGI, but you never see robotic life sort no. of finding V'ger, um and retooling him. And, and even though he's so unbelievably primitive, it's like, you know, a, a, you know it's like a speaking spell, you know? Uh, <laughs> and they're like, well, your original intent. 
but it's like the original programming isn't seek out information and transmit it back. There is no protocol that tells you that, right? You're not mm. an Isaac Asimov droid with, you know, protocols or Robocop with like, you know, <laughs> direct protocols. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So they are looking at the speak and spell and going like, okay, here's how we understand its code and what mm. it was for. Let's help this little primitive brother on its way, right? I mean, this is like us finding a microbe and being like, let's get that up to quadruped size yeah. and, you know, Send figure out what that way. microbe wants, yeah. you know? I mean, but I love this story. I think it's fascinating. I love, I do think that, uh, I love how alien, yeah. you know, the idea is. Um, that it, I love the idea that it sees, and this is another thing that I always think needs to be done better in Transformers, that it sees carbon-based life as an infestation, right? Mm. That, you know, that's not the main thing. And, you know, maybe it's a little silly because it sure, certainly encountered lots of planets yeah. beside, with carbon-based life. But, um, but so maybe that's a little silly, but it also reflects back at us how many people say, well, you know, robotic life. Well, that's not real life. Well, you know, you get what you get what you give. Uh, yeah. So I, I love all that stuff. Uh, uh, what about you? No, it's the same. I mean, there are certain moments, visual cues as well in this film, uh, with regards to that, when they go into Vija, the design of everything. It's got this blue hue to it all. And it's obviously all a model. It's all done, you know, through different perspectives and models and so this stuff. It looks fantastic. But one of the things that fascinates me the most, um, and you know, we could speculate about this, is basically there's they stop in front of what can only be described as a huge robotic orifice. <laughs> but it shifts and it looks like it's breathing and it moves. And it, like you say, it's so alien and weird. Like it doesn't seem to serve a purpose. And then you go through it and, you know, it's... You know, yeah, all right, it's Spot going through it and gaining his truth. Like, yeah, okay, it's a rebirthing, and that, you know, um, metaphor, fine. But it's just the design of all this is so, so. And then they find the the the, the, the centre of this thing, and then there's Vija surrounded by this, like, plugged into this massive technology that, like, they can't understand. I love this idea that this thing that we shot off into space, because usually, the, even at this point, I suppose it became more of a cliche later, is... You know this idea of um, finding or receiving radio waves or television waves or whatever, and then that being the thing that impacts and you know aliens coming down to Earth based on that. But this idea of them finding one of our first long-range satellites with probes into space and it being coming back is—I I love it. But uh, this idea of it looking for its creator. And not willing to accept that what it deems is an, an inferior entity being its creator. When Kirk's like, well, we are your creator. And it's like, nah, you? You're not nah. real life forms. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. You, not you, you scabby bunch of infections. Like, you're, it's, I love that notion. It, it, it will not accept this idea that it believes either, I don't know whether it believes the planet itself is its creator or there's some of the being there, but like it will not accept it. Um, and this leads, so no, so yeah, I do love this idea of this thing, gaining this sentience, but also it creating its own mythology. 
Mm-hmm. In this time, it, it, it's not fact. It has created this idea of the creator. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's just as just as we do, we create these mythologies, these creation myths. It has done exactly the same. And when confronted with fact, yeah, there is no <laughs> there is no great deity. I'm not going to start questioning people's religion, but you know, but there's no there's no you know great being or this you know ultra dimensional being or whatever. It's just you were created by humans, and you had this you had this encounter, and you are now returning. Like it's that's what happened. It's not millions of years; it's only hundreds of years. I love that that this thing actually created its own creation myth. Mm-hmm. Now, this brings me to one question, though: when they input the code um, for, to return the information, you know, so Spot gets it and they start reciting the code, or Deck starts reciting the code, and it won't; it doesn't work. And they look inside, and one of the wires is broken. Now, this is weird because I, I don't. Did it do it itself, or was that yes. already broken? No, they say it. It, it did it itself. Right. right. I thought that was the case. Yeah. So I, I love the fact it, it doesn't want like, to hear the truth, baby. And that, yeah, because that's <laughs> when I love exactly this is my point. Because that, like, you know, it, when confronted with fact, um, McCoy puts it best and says, "The toddler is having a tantrum." Yes. And it, it, I love the fact that, like, yeah, it's got all this vast galactic knowledge. It's gained all this information, yet it's still an immature being, despite that. And like you say, when confronted with with pure, when confronted with the logic of its actual creation, doesn't want to hear it. Pull, literally pulls the plug in, in petulance. And I love that. I think that's all fascinating because oh, yeah. that's so human. <laughs> Well, the whole thing of it being a child is fascinating. Um, and I love what you're saying about, I always thought, how did it burn that wire out? You know, and mm. it looks, I mean, it, I, I, I sort of have a, a minor gripe about that sort of, you know, is it, a, how is it equipped to do that? Is there a burnout mechanism that, you know, like you, you've, you know, stitched a little notch in that wire. So that's where it explodes. I, I, I don't know, but it's a very minor gripe, but yeah, I mean, it occurs to me that, I mean, there are these episodes in the original series where um, there's this one that's very parallel to the this, where a uh, probe is found, and that probe is, like, half the height of a human, and it kind of, like, floats around the set, mm-hmm. and they have to convince it not to destroy the Enterprise. Um, and then even Khan is found in Space Seed in, you know, uh, ships that we sent out. Mm-hmm. So there is this sort of, like, trope of finding old ships in star trek uh from earth um that then become a problem somehow but i think this is the most fascinating version of it and the other thing is about religion and it seems to me that even these ponderous shots are almost religious Mm. there's a kind of like religious awe given to viger um and yet he's this child but you know there is this Roddenberry was an atheist and it's clear that in Star Trek some people have private religions but you know religion isn't a big thing right you know nobody is saying you know uh well whether we interfere in this planet or not uh let's ask what would Jesus do right I mean that's completely alien from Star Trek um and so here is this but here is this being who's searching for questions mm-hmm. uh searching for its creator has made up as you say its own mythology 
And I, and yet that mythology must like much like the episode of the original series with Adonis, who you know, with Apollo, who mm. you know, it's like the Greek gods were were aliens, kind of way before the Thor movies, um, you know, and done better. But you know, that was a slight against religion in some way. Here, it's like this movie has a respect for the religious impulse and for that desire to. You know, there's this constant questioning of like, is this all I am? Is yeah. this what what is life about? You know, is it about Colinar and becoming perfected, quote unquote, according to the Vulcan norm? Or do I find my own meaning? And they don't go enough into that journey of Spock's. But Voyager is asking those same questions. And that I think this this movie respects that religious impulse respects a kind of mystical impulse, perhaps more than a religious impulse, and finds that it has um, physical uh, physical basis, right? Mm. That our myths aren't just, you know, ah, you know, willy-nilly, let's make up, but that, that they are an attempt to answer this desire in us that is so innate that even a robotic life would feel it. Well, I think one of the things, yeah, no, it does because it, like, th this film, I think you're right, it wants to keep bringing things down to a, a an explanation, like a base level. Forget the idea of God, because at no point did they say, like you say, religion is is you know completely devoid in this world. But like even like Colin, this idea of logic. Of, of be you know being you know purging yourself of all emotion and becoming a pure being of logic. Yes, it's not based around a creator myth. Still a religion, mm -hmm. you know. Like Taoism is a religion. Doesn't exactly. say anything about gods. Yeah, exactly. Like it's still it's still it's still it's still a, a cultural religious belief that you know that, that you are following a certain sect to a point where you know a a ceremony gives you. And a, a talisman to show that you have achieved a level, you know, you might as well be rolling your, one of your trousers legs up and shaking hands funny or something, you know, like it's no different to all these other things. What I like about Vija, though, that I find most fascinating is he is looking for his creator, or sorry, he, sorry, it, you know, it is looking for its creator and it will not accept this idea of the carbon based life forms. However, Vija in and of itself is a creator. Mm -hmm. It takes it takes Ilya, and then replaces her, and re oh no, sorry, not replaces it, replicates her with this mm. robotic being, and you know, you, you, in with this with this sort of thing on. But even so, when they scan her, they're like, she, actually, yeah, it's, it's this, but it's so accurate, mm -hmm. it may actually contain her memories and her emotions. This thing is so good. Like it's reproduced um, her down to the nerve endings, right? Yeah, like it's amazing. Yeah. Like, and so you know, like this is a replicant level, um, you know, whatever. And so you know, so yet weirdly, like you know, and she, again, she she is not the the Ilya that comes back, the drone or droid, whatever you want to call it, isn't a mouthpiece for Vija. It's not Vija speaking through. Um, this being, they're not talking directly to Vija. She is independent of Vija as this drone. So Vija has created an, a, a, a separate being. So Vija, in and of himself, is a creator. 
Right. She's like uh, onto a Voyager probe that's been yes. sent out to get information exactly. and then return it it's, back to the creator. It, it becomes this cycle. And then again, she, and it, it, the cycle continues because at the end, it's it's Ilya as a being, not not Vija. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I've got some questions about the ending about what it is that actually merges that merges with Decker, but then they go off to become this greater being and stuff. But I love the fact that like yeah, this creator thing is a cycle. Like it goes on. Like you know, if anything, Vija is greater than us. It's grown to become basic. It has this ability. Um, and so yeah, no, I love all this. I think this whole thing is fascinating. This idea, but then like you say, to bring it down to the fact that you go past this massive um, ship this huge mass of, of, of energy and power and then this huge technological advancement to find this shonky thing that was fired out into space <laughs> and, has, and has less memory than my phone. <laughs> yes. It, it, you know, is amazing. They bring it down to this thing, yet this thing has evolved to be able to replicate, um, you know, life um, is, is great. Would say, should say, it seemed to... Uh, the costume she wears... Mm. Did Vija create that, or is that something they give her? Because yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't know. Um, it, it seems to me that they doesn't she like this kind of implied she arrives nude and they sort yeah, of, yeah they basically give her, give her a hand towel to wear. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's it, it's one of the it's one of the only things. It's a flaw or it's a, it's a nitpick I have with this film. And again, I know you you saying about this idea of sort of you know sex positive. Mm. Um. But the clothing they give her is, it's not just about being sex positive, like it's clearly sexualizing her. Right. Well, and, I mean, this is, look, th- th- look, I mean, I'm saying it's two sides of the same coin, right? Yeah. I mean, all of, look, you've got the Orion slave girls in the original yes, show, right? And I mean, so it's like, yes, they're slaves, and obviously Federation officers are fine with fornicating yeah. with slaves, right? But, it's this weird thing Roddenberry does where there is sort of sexual exploitation on these shows. And those that look, we may not have interpersonal conflicts, but we're still horny as hell. You know, <laughs> That's, I mean, the, the reason they are so horny is because they are repressed. <laughs> well, but, but they're, they're not repressed anymore. Right. <laughs> I mean, they're, you know, yeah, but they're repressed and they're like, I'm not going to hit that commander, but you know, when yeah. I get the, to those Orion girls. So, I mean, look, I mean, yeah, I think that it's two sides of the same coin. Mm. I think that the pendulum is swung, and now we see it as more, you know, titillation and, and female oppression, especially from the behind-the-scenes stories. But, you know, so, look, I mean, you're right. Uh, and she's, you know, that, I mean, really the one defining characteristic of her character is that she's from a culture that has sex at the drop of a hat. Mm. I mean... It's not, and, and she misses Decker, right? I mean, like, that's all we know about her as a, as a person. It, yeah, she's not given any real depth, uh, depth of a backstory. But what I mean, what I would say is, you know, again, interestingly, like, she's clearly, I mean, she's studied, like, you know, she's, you know, she's, you know, fantastic figure, wonderful legs, amazing legs. But, like, you know, yeah, they're like, yeah, but we're going to make her bald because that's alien. And you're like, yeah, I love that. I love that look. Oh, it looks great. No, yeah. that's that's. I almost that's my problem with it. I'm like, it's not alien enough. Like she still looks yeah. really hot. Like you know, like. Well, I think they want her to look hot, right? Yeah, of I course mean, they do. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, and and I don't know that there's anything wrong with that. Um, you know, I don't think that. You know, it's like we were talking about. You know, 
not to bring it back to space dandy, but that's sort of like, you know, we, we were talking, you know, sometimes we talk about the Michael Bay Transformers movies where it's like, <laughs> Yeah. Why does this need to have an ass shot here? Yeah. <laughs> it's not necessary. But look, in the same sense that like the original series was selling you on the fight scenes, right? That's mm-hmm. that's part mm-hmm. of the appeal. It's not cerebral. There's going to be a cerebral through line. But we're also going to give you those fight scenes. We're also going to give you a little bit of titillation. Yeah. Um, and we know... That this is, like you said, this is made for people today. We're not yeah. in this utopian culture. And I think that, you know, I, I, I'm sex positive. I, I want everyone to be who they are. And I have mm. no problem with pornography. I have no problem with, with any sort of titillation. Uh, you know, whether it's of a guy or, or a girl or some other gender. Um, go for it. So I feel like, yeah, I don't want to like condemn that but i know what you're saying like it's a kind of like two-dimensional character and i really want to watch star trek phase two that has her as a character and kind of culminates in this exactly and that's my point i mean if she is given that uniform or those clothes and and this is one this is where i want to talk about the costuming because Everyone's got this, this, they've got this, it's not militaristic, but it's clearly sort of designed to be uh, standardized and, and functional within the, ship, within the ship. She turns up and they dress her and she's wearing these fantastic sort of like silver high heels and this, you know, this mini dress. It looks great. It, it's really well designed. And, if not, you know, she just looks fantastic. But at, at some point, like you do, you're saying, like, if, if you're going to live in the world of this, this film, someone, firstly, someone had that. Secondly, someone chose to put her in it. And yeah. I'm thinking it's McCoy, personally. But... <laughs> Blame the doctor. But, yeah, but, you know, it's that thing of, like, again, functional would have probably been they give her something else. It just, it's a real... Uh, we talk about too much for what it is. It's a nitpick. She looks great, and it's a cool costume. Like, all the costume in this, I think, is really cool. Yeah. But the, the, the point is, like I say, she looks the thingy. But one of the things I wanted to ask about Ilya, the drone... Because she starts as a robot, like as, as in that, you know, just she's just there as a functioning drone, and she regains at least in part some of her former memories or former feelings. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that, and how and how it happens? Well, I mean, first of all, about the, about to end that costuming thing. Um, look, I mean, anyone can feel how they feel about this. I'm not going to shut down you know, mm. uh, a, a woman or anyone who has an opposing view. I sort of take it as one of the tropes of the series, right? In the same way yeah. that sometimes I get irritated. Why, like, do you not have anyone else who can save the Federation except for Kirk <laughs> and Picard? Like, how many times have they saved the universe? You know, surely you have some other competent commanders. <laughs> but that's part of the romance of, of the yeah. show. And in the same way... You know, I, I was thinking as you were talking about the miniskirts of the original uniform. Mm. It's like today that seems completely sexist. And yeah. what is the function of seeing that high of a woman's legs when she's just as part of, you know, supposed to be respected as part of the crew? Mm. But it's like, yeah, we respect women, but we all kind of like it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's a sort of you're, you're completely correct. But um yeah, about her kind of like regaining it. I sort of feel uh, regaining her emotion or her memory. 
I want more of it. I love yes. the, and I think, you know, it's just what you were saying about how these plots are sort of muted. Um, and I and I think that I want that plot. I find, and I want more of it, especially because I want Decker's choice to stay with her to be characterized better. Mm-hmm. I, but she does so much with the look on her face. Like, I, I am moved by that look of pain on her face as this android version of her is coming to life and realizing I love him and we're leaving forever or whatever she's thinking at that time. I identify with her. Yeah. I, I just want more of all of that stuff. No, I completely agree. That's the thing. I like, The ending of this film, I want it to be a real sort of like both sad, but like massively triumphantly uplifting as well. And that's how it should feel. This this sort of coming together of these two beings to become something, you know, greater than all of us. And this this sort of sacrifice that that Decker is making and to to be with this thing and to, you know, all this stuff. If this was like the climax of like uh, you know, like say season, several seasons show where you've followed that journey of like Decker spending time with on the planet and having that affair and you know, like you say in this future world sort of like trying to control that idea of, of whether it be lust or love or whatever these emotions and this growing thing then having to come together again on this ship and, and work together and you know deck is having to balance this thing of like my authority has been usurped but i've got this and also i've now got this this you know being or this, this entity i love so you know i'm now attracted to and it's really confusing if you were to be taken on this journey of these characters that then ends with them on this, like that would be hugely satisfying. And so that's why I'm sort of like, I both like, cause I love the ending, but I'm also really disappointed where I'm like, oh, you thought, I want more like that. Look, you're right. That look she gives, or, you know, when, when he sort of looks at him and he, that's makes his like, sort of seems to make his mind up, but like it, but there's never a conflict. There's no point where he's like, I can't do that or I shouldn't do that or it's not going to happen. And he's more like, yeah, no, I'm, I want this. And you, I'm going, I, I don't know why. Mm-hmm. You didn't seem too miffed when she left. And then you didn't seem particularly bothered when she came <laughs> back as a robot. Like, I don't see what the problem, like, what, what, you know, why is it you are now? Your dialogue does not match yeah. your, the, the behaviours I've seen. And that's well, sort of and a bit of a problem. Decker is the biggest problem there because, mm-hmm. you know, because up until... <laughs> You know, she comes back as an android. His central uh, um, stress, his central conflict is having his command taken away from him. Right. Mm. And so he wants to command the Enterprise. He wants to, you know, I mean, he was ready to go out in space as the new commander of the Enterprise. That's been stripped away from him. And so there is this weird way, like instead of getting any characterization of their relationship, I always have felt like. There's a part of me that hates to think this, but that he's like, yeah, I have these feelings for her. And they were activated by her dying and this android version of her coming back. But you know what? Screw the Federation. They took my ship away from me. So I guess I'll just do this. Um, and, you know, you're right. I mean, it's not it's not characterized. I, no. I, I, I do think that, like, you know, you were talking about the effects of that being characterized. And I think there's like, again, you're talking about like sort of being 10 degrees off. I kept thinking as we were talking about religion, about like Prometheus and this idea and and alien covenant, you know, Mm. which I like 
Prometheus, but this idea of sort of like the engineers, you know, like created us, which is dumb. And then we created, you know, these amazing androids and these amazing androids still had this desire to create and they went out and they created, you know, the xenomorphs mm. and this sort of chain. Well, you've got what, what that saying, in- one day we'll talk about those and I will really go on about how dumb that whole thing is. But, but, there's we'll, a, but, but there's a searching for getting at something there mm-hmm. that even if it doesn't work in those movies, and I would probably agree with you that it doesn't. I mean, there is they're trying to do something. Yeah, this movie is kind of more successful at that, but it doesn't underline those things. Having V'ger realize that it is also a creator, that we created V'ger and V'ger is also cre- a creator and has made this next thing that is partially human um, would be would play with that plot would you know get at some of that and I think in the same way having more of that characterization of Ilya and you know and having it would be so easy just to have some dialogue where somebody says like well you know you're oversexed and she says well my people believe that when when you merge physically with somebody you you know can be enhanced by the experience and Mm. grow closer to what you don't understand by the experience and this is religious to us this isn't just yeah getting getting hot and dirty this has a deeper meaning that then without putting you know you have to be careful not to be right on the nose but then you know it seems to me obviously the uniting of decker and Ilya is sexual at the end um but because None of this has been characterized. We don't mm. really know why Decker does it. And it comes off as like, golly gee, another another interesting, weird thing happened at the end of that Star Trek episode instead of really hitting those through lines. Yeah, and I think that, and that's a, that's a real shame. Because, again, like, some of the character bits should be there. Like, you know, you, you should have, and again, like, you know, we could do this by, by not spending eight minutes looking at the ship. But... Um, like, you know, there should be a scene where you know Decker and Ilya do reconnect, and in it, she should be saying, you know, like, oh, you know, well, how basically, how do you feel about Kirk taking your um, command? You know, and he should be like, you know, there should be not resentment. I don't want him to be like, yeah, what a prick. You know, no, I don't want him doing that. It's it should be like, no, he has a point. He has the experience. However. I th- you know I think it you know there is a resentment that, that, that you know you should be showing that to to bring and her comforting him brings them closer together for her to then be taken away should have be a good punch that should be the point and you're right this idea of sort of like almost to the point of like Crowleyan sex magic of like you know yeah this, this idea of the connection it is almost magical like we learn something there's a just that, like that glow is technically orgone right yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. But you you could make connections in the similar way that like uh, Spock does a might tries to do a mind merge with the the thing. There's, you know, you know that that Vulcans can do that. That they can have this idea of a mind merge because they are all about the mind. They are pure logic. They even call it a mind merge. All right, for Ilya's race, have this thing of of you know we, we call it the not not heart merge. That's too stupid. But like this idea of emotion. We share emotion. We are, we're almost the opposite of Vulcans, and they're not whole emotion, but like through this act of sensual connection, we are able to expand our beings and feel f- empathy, like this side of empathy. 
Donna, Donna, Donna Troy comes in, yeah, in, in next gen. Yeah, yeah. And, and Troy, I sorry. was going to mention her because she was originally conceived as an Ilya character who was hypersexed, uh, yeah. and they got Roddenberry to tone that down, thankfully. <laughs> um, and so you know, I can see this idea of this idea of sort of empathy or connectivity being an important point, and then she is robbed of that to become a droid, and she regains it. And then when in in her regaining it, she's able to reconnect with, uh, and that moment of pain at the end th- then has more of an emphasis. It's more of a gut punch again when you're like she's regaining that, and that can be Decker saying, "No, I see my purpose now. Like I have a connection with her." And we are now the moment that we can save Earth, we can create this new species, and they gain what they want. Boom, I'm in tears, Kirk's cheerful. Like that to me is brilliant. In, 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 screw Roddenberry. <laughs> well, but what's fascinating to me is how all of this is there. It it's is, just I like know. it's all so there, right? It's just it writes itself, and yet they never go that extra step. Remember, there's that weird scene with Ilya where she, where Chekhov is hurt by the exploding console and his hand is burned up and she comes over and takes his pain away. That's exactly what you're talking about, about like the emotional Vulcan. Mm. She literally in the show, in the, in the movie, she takes his pain away so she can do that for Decker. She, you know, she is the, you know, emotional at the end. You know, she could have a line about, you know, taking pain away. You know, I mean, this is all right there. It's in the material. And yet they never, like, go up and touch it. And that's the problem. Like I said, like I said this film is just a couple of degrees away from being... What, what's a masterpiece. Weird? Just, exactly, yeah. yeah. An absolute stone cold. Like, and it makes me wonder, like, you know, if they'd have gone for this, what... <laughs> How different the Trek franchise would be, because yeah. you know. It, well, I mean, I don't know because you know because it did well enough that they got a sequel, you know, with a lower budget. But if it, I mean, I guess if they had, you know, the question is, how well would it have done if it were? Even more of an artsy fartsy indulgent masterpiece than they produced. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I don't think. <laughs> just, <laughs> I don't think it would have been. You see, this, I think though, because it's that line again. Like I say, you can have those external shots, those fantastic model shots, and indulge in all that. And I think they look great. I think I, I love that kind of shit. I, I love those kind of special effects. Um, and, and but if you can put real heart at the at the center of this. Consider that this is the seventies as well. Yes, you've had um, the Star Trek. Oh, sorry, the Star Star Wars kind of franchises has you know been birthed and has you know hit the world like a sledgehammer. But there were still Trek fans, and instead, you know, the the obviously you know it's this thing of of um, the pendulum, isn't it? They sort of said, you know, yeah, we're not going to be Star Wars. We're going to swing the pendulum, and the fun I think they swung it too far in one direction. And then obviously the correction is is the wrath of Khan that like they come the other way. There's somewhere there is somewhere between wrath of Khan and motion picture where this film should exist. And I think in a seventies um, in you know in a seventies market, late seventies early eighties film market where you have films like um, Close Encounters, um, 
you know, E.T., both Spielberg films, I should say, but like, and I'm not, I'm not saying that it should be a Spielberg film. I don't want that level of schmaltz or anything like that, but enough heart that you can relate to the characters. And well, so when you get the finale, it feels like a win. Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, look, in fairness, I mean, you're also talking about setting up that, that sense of stakes, you know, mm. and, and serious drama stuff. I mean, I think all of this kind of comes down to a better written version of this. And yeah. I mean, they were altering. I mean, they had the original. You can still buy, and I did as a kid. You know, the the phase two scripts that would have been shot. Oh, Some really? were adapted oh. into next gen, and you know, the first two. I I mean, I think this should be. You know, if we can retro nim, uh, damn Star Wars Episode One as Episode Four, A New Hope, we can retro nim this as Star mm-hmm. Trek in thy image. Uh, which sets up the religious connotation stuff right away. But, I mean, they were rewriting this on set. I mean, this was... But I I do think there is a, you know, you're incredibly correct that there is a better written, teased-out version of this that would have more heart. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not bad to reference Spielberg because, you know, Spielberg is is a master filmmaker. Sometimes it goes schmaltzy, but he is fantastic at getting that emotional through line. And yeah. making sure that people connect emotionally to film. And this is a movie that does not seem to understand that people <laughs> connect emotionally to film. Yeah. Or to one another, for that matter. Mm. So, yeah, it's interesting. It's, it, it, you know, it's a thing of like, and that's the frustrating thing about this. I, I have the novelization of all of the Trek films. Um, the movie novelizations because um, I'm a I'm a, a movie novelization nerd. I love them. I haven't I haven't read the um, the motion picture novelization. I've read Wrath of Khan. It's good. It's kind it's kind of fun because the film's fun, yeah. you know. And it gives you and, and often the thing with novelizations is you get these sort of like little divergent things where they'll give you what's going on in someone's mind or they can you know you can you get a scene from a different perspective because it's, you know, closer to a shooting script than it is actually to what was shot. These kind of things. The editing will be different, whatever. I'm curious now to go back and read the motion picture um, novelization because it's about, it's, it's, it's just shy of 300 pages. Um, and so there's, I'm thinking like, all right, if they've got stuff in there, like, is there going to be stuff of like from, Ilya or Decker or something, this yeah. internal monologue. Well, they can't spend 20 pages uh, going <laughs> on the shuttlecraft just describing. They're not going to do that, right? And oh, you don't know. Alan Dean Foster? Uh, who, I would have Because, I, I mean, he's, he's an amazing writer. Oh, uh, Alan, Alan, Alan Dean Foster's novelizations are fantastic. I've read, I've read, I've read no, Alien, Aliens. Um, he actually did the, the Transformers um mm. Uh, yeah, the A one as well. So he, well, and he he had written for the Peter Pan records of Star Trek, some of which like they should just straight up adapt mm. uh, as animated, you know, shorts. Um, everything that he wrote for Star Trek was really good. And, and he wrote uh, several of the like episode um, sort of the animated episode novelizations and stuff. And he would expand them and put make stuff make sense that does not make, frankly, is does makes no sense in those animated episodes. <laughs> but he has an important role in, in track history, not just yeah. for this movie, but I mean. It says on here, right, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I've got to find out if it really is. There you go. Um, 
It says this book is sometimes erroneously credited to Alan Dean Foster. However, Foster only contributed to the film's story. The novelization based on the screenplay was solely written by Roddenberry. Okay. So do not be surprised if it does have an eight-page <laughs> section uh, venerating the ship. Um, well, I, I do believe he wrote the set of the rest, though. So if I'm, I'm going to check Wrath of Khan. But uh, this is great podcasting. But <laughs> um, <laughs> well, but, yeah, apparently it does. Uh, the book does acknowledge that uh, Decker is the son of Commander Matt Decker from the Doomsday Machine. Um yeah. Yeah. So it, it you know, um, so it's, it's interesting to see. So, um, yeah. So it was written by Roddenberry, supposedly, yeah. his assistants and stuff. Yeah. Vonda and McIntyre did the uh, follow. Did the Wrath of Khan one. So yeah. So I, I find them fascinating. So I am going to look into that. But it's it, you know. So like we said, there's there's definitely a version of this film that I think that, that hits it out of the park. Does that oh, mean yeah. I, the, the thing is, like you say, it doesn't mean I dislike this film. I know I've been ribbing on it and I've been taking the mick out of it, and, and there's things real, it has got f- flaws, and there's definitely a better version of it. But I do kind of really like this film. Me too. Yeah. No, I think it's a good film. I mean, I and I think it tries for stuff. Mm. Does it always succeed? No, but it comes close enough that we can see a version of it that is a masterpiece. Uh, is it a masterpiece? No, no, not in its current version. But um, but it it tries for something, you know. And mm. thinking about this as the first Star Trek picture, it strikes me as even more ambitious, you know. In the wake of Star Wars, that you know, you know, I mean, I keep thinking like, if you don't know Star Trek, so much of this is unemotional, and so much yeah. of this is kind of like you have to already care about Kirk to be mm. like. Okay, he's getting the Enterprise back. You have to care about the Enterprise for that sequence, that you know, three minute sequence or whatever it is of like twenty minutes. Oh. Forty-five <laughs> minutes. <laughs> no, there, there's a there is actually a uh, a version with CGI that you know that that I prefer slightly that has like the CGI little some CGI added to like this Starfleet command. Mm-hmm. You know, you see the sand. So, you know, all the matte paintings are kind of enhanced with with stuff. Um, but, yeah, they should do a better version of this, um, yeah. you know. But, I mean, no, I, this is ambitious, and, and I don't know how they thought it would be as successful, you know, as, as they must have wanted it to be, because you really have to love Star Trek to even care about the Enterprise and Kirk and, and Spock and... Um, I I want, you know, one thing I didn't mention when we were talking about a better version is Spock discussing the effects of merging with V'ger because Mm -hmm. it seems as if he's encountered a purely logical mind that does not even understand feelings. And it's in response to that that he's crying and he says he is as I was when I boarded, that he's like gone through his whole journey of like, I thought Colin R would be the purging of emotion. But in fact, as has always been acknowledged on the show, we Vulcans are emotional beings. Yeah. Um, And now that I've actually encountered pure logic, I see, I can acknowledge the emotion in myself and I can't pretend that I could purge it or would want to. Uh, I'm not going to want to become feature. That's some profound shit. 
Where is that? Yeah, well, I don't... it's sort of there's this weird discussion at the end, and it feels a little bit like the, the end of those episodes, you know, where they do have, um, you know, Kirk send off, you know, there's that sort of. But they have this moment where they talk about it, and, and, and McCoy has a great line, which is, you know, did we just see the creation of a new species? And and they are they're all they are all in wonder. And they're like, yeah, I think so, but not not one we've ever seen before. This thing's like an interdimensional. Like we don't know what it is. And then you know they ask about um, the you know the 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 death toll or the you know they want to report back. And Kirk says, you know, they're not dead; they are missing. Which is you know it's got a little bit of weight to it because they aren't dead; they've they've merged into this new thing. Great. But then when they're talking about it and they talk about it being this combination of um, you know, pure logic, and all and all the flaws of the human race that come with it. And I'm, I'm going, what flaws? Because what you've presented is these evolved beings that have mm. past bitterness and spite and all this other thing. So <laughs> there are no flaws. So you can't have this argument now. And this is the thing; it sort of under it undermines Spock's thing of logic when you don't have the ballsy bravado of Kirk. And the curmudgeonliness, curmudgeonly compassion of McCoy. If you do elevate all of them to this level of sort of like you know maturity, if you will, it 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 doesn't make any sense. You need them to be. Each one needs to be fo- um, you know, have its their failings, their flaws in their own way. You know, um, Spock being too logical is a flaw because he can't have. You just get this sort of like Kantian um, philosophy of like you know sacrifice the few to save the many, and, you know. But you want Kirk saying, "No, I shall save them all," and, right. and all the, you know this other thing, and that's the idea. But if you elevate them all, it, it doesn't work, and that's again you take away the conflict. And it's bizarre this ending where they're like, "Well, you know, there's and all the human failings would go with it," and it's like. You what feelings shown, have been fa- presented you, in this movie? You, you, you haven't shown any, um, and so again, it's sort of like you know they they want their cake and eat it, and it just it, and then and then you have Kirk saying like you know, basically I I, I weirdly I think he's stealing the ship at the end. I get there's an admiral and or a, a captain of the ship, and he's like, so where to? Instead of reporting back after this for a debrief after this massive event where they've created new life, he's like out there. Let's go out there. It's like, hang on. Yeah, there should be like a little. I mean, that's the classic ending, right? It's, exactly. You know, yeah. Let's start at the right and straight on till morning, you know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when it's the sort of like, okay, well, we've got the crew back together and this love of adventure and the unknown mm-hmm. and what, you know, and I believe in this and what mankind should mm-hmm. find. Uh, humanity rather should find in outer space um that this is our destiny it will change us great but right maybe report into starfleet before you know yeah <laughs> no, yeah it's a bit stupid anyway so that so that so that really is, is, we do what start at the motion picture so any any final thoughts then really uh on on this film yeah i mean this this is very close to being a masterpiece it's mm-hmm. clearly not but i mean i i do love it and i love how ambitious it is and philosophical and and it is amazing to me how close i mean you and i could rewrite this and <laughs> make this so good 
Yeah, I think that's my final thought on this. It's 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 good, and I I actually do enjoy it. And you know, it's two two hours twelve minutes, and it it you know w- weird thing. I thought my Blu-ray had broken when I watched this. Because it starts with one of the longest musical intros. <laughs> mm-hmm. To the extent that when I skip to scene, scene one is just this black box of sort of the, the music. And then it's like, oh, and now the intro. Um, and so it loves its score. And so I, know, I will say again, you said the Jerry Goldsmith score on this is phenomenal. I absolutely love it. Um, to the extent it became the, the theme tune for Next Gen. Um uh, but yeah, again, on this film, like there's so much about this film. Like when I'm watching it, two hours twelve minutes, that I'm like, it's I'm not bored per se. I mean, I mean, I'm enjoying the film, but my head is constantly saying, <laughs> I would do this, or this needs to be slightly different, or why aren't they doing this? And it's sort of, and it's it's just slightly frustrating. And I often think, and I thought about it, actually when I'd watched it this time, I thought. If I was working at Paramount as an executive and Gene Roddenberry says, I've done my film, it's edited, it's done. I want to see you, I want you to show you what you, you're presenting this summer. <laughs> <laughs> and some executive sits down thinking Star Wars and watches mm. this. I think there were some nervous people in Paramount in 1979. This is the thing hit cinemas. I, I'm, I am sure of it. Oh, yeah. Well, and then they said, we're going to take this out of your hands, you know, and they and they took it out of Ron and Barry's hands uh, for the second. So maybe someday we'll talk about that. And that is a masterpiece. This yeah, is oh, a no, near one. Yes. You know, yeah. But it, we will definitely talk about Wrath of Khan because there's so much to talk about in that film as well. And um, we will talk about one of the things I love about Trek more so and think because it's got the pedigree of all these things is that it has got these sort of things where it reaches back um, into these episodes. You know, like you say, you know, I didn't know anything about that, that Decker is linked with a previous episode. You know, it's there. Um, and again, like you said, if you don't know, if you haven't watched the show, there are parts of this film that make no sense. <laughs> um, and the same with two, though. Like, you know, when mm-hmm. I was a kid, I had no idea that Khan was linked with a with a previous episode. Um, and obviously, you know, I know now and I've seen it and everything, well, but and like, you know that they're referencing something in their past, but you don't need to have seen that episode. For no, it's, it's good. Right? Yeah, you don't, yeah, you know, you can completely accept the film on its on its own merits and its own terms, but to know that it's actually a sequel to an episode is even better. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, it's definitely worth We will, in fact, we you know, I think we should put that in as a, as a promise. Well, um, you know, I mean, I always have a love-hate relationship with the sort of Star Trek movies. I'm a huge Trekkie, but, you know, a lot of the movies in being more action-oriented, and you know, I sometimes feel uh, it isn't, you know, the true Star Trek, right? For mm-hmm. Whatever the hell that means. I mean, presumptuous of me. But the thing about Trek is that Trek uses science fiction to get at ideas, and yeah. to get at social issues and to get at things that are more than just, I've got a lightsaber, now watch this cool fight. Which yeah. is awesome. Enjoy it. God bless you. But um, and this, more than any of the Trek movies, tries to be that. And I think that is awesome and admirable. And 
so much of what I love about science fiction and what it can be. No, I agree. And I, I love this franchise. I've got, like I say, I've got all the Trek films. We, I, I think watching this and talking about it, like, I'm definitely more of a Trekkie than a Star Wars fan. Like, it's it, it's definitely the case. Um, I, 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 more than anything, I actually I really thought about this because I think it's relevant. Which was the, I was like, what was the first Star Trek thing I ever saw? And weirdly, I think Star Trek 3 is the first thing of Trek I ever saw. And I remember, I remember being a kid and being very confused. <laughs> very confused. I don't However, blame you. Yeah. Um, and then after watching 4, so I remember watching 3 and 4, and then watching 4 and going, like, I'm still confused. Like, but I'm really enjoying this thing of these people in 1985, uh, you know, in ba- basically this weird 80s comedy romp. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then I've gone back and I've watched, obviously, the original series and the rest. Um, and I, I don't know, there's just something appealing about this, the original cast doing these films, good, good or bad, good, bad or indifferent. Like those, those first sort of six films, I, I, I have an affection for all of them. Yeah, so, I just wish there were there were more. I mean, I just like so much time passes between one and two in universe, mm-hmm. between five and six in universe. Um, there's been some fan made stuff, but I mean. Um, you know, we didn't get phase two. And so I feel like we didn't get a proper conclusion to the five-year mission. Um, you know, we get the animated series. I mean, I have a roadmap to how to do this all, by the way, because I'm insane. Uh, you know, that's like my box <laughs> plan. Yeah. You know, I have a Star Trek plan. But I, I always end up feeling like I like these six movies, but there's so it, it feels like there's all this connective tissue between them that's kind of missing. Um and I want those slow moments on Vulcan. I want those quiet human scenes that these movies mostly can't afford. Well, well, IDW have done that. In fact, didn't they, didn't they do sort of like uh, the five year mission, like year four, year five, five year yeah. five, yeah, and year stuff? So they've five. they've done those sort of things, and mm-hmm. I I hear they're good. I've not read them, but I hear they're good. Um, so okay. yeah, I mean, yeah. It, you know, there's some that's better than others, but. Uh, and also, like you say, Trek has probably crossed over with some of the weirdest things as well. Um, there is a fantastic novel. I think it's two novels, uh, but there's no, it is. It's two. Trek crossed over with the X Men twice. Yes, yes, and there are two two comics as well. Are they yes. made comics of that? Because I, you know, what I really want is I want the, uh, you know, I kind of do mean this. It's like I want. Uh, you know, Jean-Luc Picard to meet Professor X, also played by Patrick Stewart. Oh, who, yeah, who doesn't want that? Because that'd be amazing. But, like, there are comics that want, I really want to read. There's a really good, I've only read the first one, but there's um, Star Trek crossed over with Green Lantern, mm-hmm. uh, which is quite good. And then there was a Star Trek that crossed over, Next Gen crossed over with uh, Matt Smith, Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. And I've not read it. And do you know what? It's really hard to find annoyingly so annoyingly hard to find i really want to read that um well, and more recently they, they've kind of embraced this and they're doing like they did terminator they're doing you know Back really? the future oh yeah there's a there's a oh no no that's i'm thinking transformers okay. oh transformers, never mind yeah, we'll edit this part out because I, no, no, I still want those as well because i think the, the transformers uh crossing over with back to the future was good mm-hmm. uh Transformers crossing over Ghostbusters was a good IDW just have just like they've created this factory of crossovers that everybody's gone like 
These are awesome, and I and I love them. So I do want the Star Trek crossovers with those two, though. Yeah, um, and so I, I think there's 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 more to this this franchise and stuff. So I, I do think we'll come back to it. Um, oh yeah, you're right. we'll definitely come to Wrath of Khan one day at least. Um, but anyway, as always, um, thank you very much, Julian, for talking uh, Star Trek thank with you. us. I think this has been this has been a, a cracking episode. And, and ladies and gentlemen, if you want to come and give us your thoughts on the Star Trek the Motion Picture, uh, do you love it? Do you hate it? Is it as boring? You know, do you think it's boring? Um, and do you miss it? You know, miss it out when you watch all the Star Trek films back? Or do you love Star Wars more than Trek? And you actually think we've been talking nonsense? Let us know. Come find us on Twitter at Pod Time Space. Uh, you know, happy to talk with any fans and uh, you know whatever the, your thoughts are. And if you really like what we're doing go onto your podcast catcher and leave a review. You know, these two guys really know their stuff. Wonderfully charismatic and cool. That's what we are. Uh, go I leave listen a re- to this for Julian. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, we love those comments. I mean, and they really help get the podcast out. They people. do. Yes. Raise us up. Let people more know what we're talking about. Uh, so, um, and if you really, well, really like what we're doing... Go find us uh, under the 20th Century Geek, uh, 20th Century Geek Media uh, banner uh, on Patreon. Patreon.com slash 20CG uh, slash uh, media. Uh, and you'll find that we do uh, a load of stuff on there. Uh, me talking sort of 30-minute 30, 30 thoughts every month. And uh, Creator's Corner once a quarter. And once a week, me and Julian trekking our way through the Twilight Zone. Uh, we're working our way through the original 1959 series. We're still going through the first series. Uh, we've got, I think, sort of like 10, no, nine episodes out now. Yeah. So uh, nine or 10 episodes out. Go check them out. They're fantastic. Uh, it's just, you know, that is that is even our, at our lowest tier. Go check out the, some really cool episodes there. Um, but it yeah, supports it. It, it occurred to me that. You know, I mean, coming up next is Buckaroo Banzai, you know, on, on the regular podcast, on this podcast. But, you know, it occurred to me that, um, you know, so much of what we do, a big percentage of it is, you know, the Twilight Zone stuff now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's like, you know, certainly more than half, more than uh, more episodes are Twilight Zone because we, we do shorter episodes there. But at least uh, a third of the recording time we spend... Yeah watching and, and doing twilight zone stuff and so if you're getting this um and you're not on that patreon man a few dollars really helps and you're missing out on half the story yeah yeah we do some fantastic stuff on there and it's like you say you know julian is is, is sort of like you know the, the uh the the man in the know he's seen a lot of this more i'm the novice i'm coming to a lot of these episodes sort of brand new uh, for me, and um, it's, it's it's a great journey, some great discussion. So go and check that out. That's twenty. Well, it's, it's Patreon.com/slash-two-zero-cg-media. Um, it'll be in the notes below uh, on the show anyway. But anyway, thank you very much for listening. Because uh, even if you don't do all that stuff and you're just listening, we love you anyway. Because we love you know we hope you're enjoying it. Uh, and as Amen. as and as uh, Julian says, next episode. Is another doozy. We've got it's, 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 it's sort of we've got we've done our thoughtful bits. We did eyes without a face. We did man from the man who fell to earth and the Star Trek the motion picture. We've done philosophy. That's snooty we, we've stuff. Done, we've done yeah. We've we've done our sort of uh, you know the intellectual stuff. Now yeah, we're going to do Bukaru Bronze uh, and his adventures across the eighth dimension. Um, and, and you're the expert here because I oh, yeah. I have never seen Bukaru Bronze. 
That's I mean, what you... I, I understand Buckaroo Banzai mostly through uh, the references in Ready Player One and other mm. stuff. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot of references, but I'm, I'm fascinated to see what you think of this film. I, for this podcast, uh, I have, I'll have watched the film. I've read the novelization. I've read the comic. So I am fully prepared to discuss Buckaroo Banzai. And I still may not be able to explain parts of the plot. So... <laughs> Well, and I'm a virgin, so yeah. Oh yeah, it'll be interesting. It's gonna be interesting. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much, and we shall talk again next time. <laughs> <laughs>